You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. God is always with you, never leaves you, never forsakes you. Uh, and again, it's just uh, something that we can grab onto and hold onto, um, and it becomes an anchor for us, and just knowing that God is always there, and He's always working um, all the things in your life right now together for good, um, and I know at times it, it doesn't feel that way, sometimes it feels like the world's against you, but God is for you. He's with you, and He has got a plan to bring you through, uh, to bless you, to keep you, uh, just again, um, that, uh, that promise of being able to take refuge and shelter uh, in him, again, just to uh, rely upon his faithfulness. Even at times when we are not faithful, God remains ever faithful, ever kind, ever gracious, ever loving and steadfast toward us. Amen? Before I get into the message this morning, I want to just take an opportunity to really kind of highlight a wonderful ministry that... I want to give you an opportunity here uh, this morning and hopefully just over the next couple of weeks to really kind of begin uh, to sow into. Uh, every morning uh, before first service, in between first and second service, a lot of you know that we uh, offer Praise Cafe. It's usually a complimentary hot breakfast. The stoves weren't working today, so things weren't so hot. But uh, uh, normally we try to have, you know, kind of a, a warm, hot breakfast down there and um, most of you here this morning, at one time or another, I mean, you've been able to be down in the Praise Cafe, whether it's just enjoying a hot meal or just a cup of coffee to be able to sit and uh, have fellowship, um, and just a, a very friendly, a warm, a welcoming environment that I really think Praise Cafe uh, is known for. And the, and the concept for Praise Cafe really was uh, embedded uh, from the very beginning uh, of our first service back in June of 2000. Three, uh, when we first met, and, uh, some of you may remember when we met at the Youth for Christ building. Seems like ancient history, doesn't it? But it really hasn't been that long ago. But just that concept of, again, fellowship, of, of just being able to gather around a cup of coffee and food, it's just always been kind of a part of our DNA uh, here at Praise Community Church. And the whole goal then is really the same goal today um, and that is most people love to eat. Amen? Yeah, and we tend to kind of gather and we just tend to be more at ease when, when there's food involved. Food can bring people together. It can kind of foster uh, an environment where relationships are formed. They can be built and deepened. Uh, whether you're meeting somebody for the very first time or whether you're just a family who comes together and just shares a meal before church. It's interesting to me and certainly not lost on me by any means. Even Jesus used food in his ministry. Um, as a way of bringing people together. In John chapter 21, now get this, following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the disciples are all together one evening and they just decide, let's go fishing. So they hop in the boat and they go out into the lake and they're fishing all night and caught nothing. After fishing that whole night, I'm going to just pick up the story, verse 4, chapter 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize 
It was Jesus. And Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore. About a hundred yards when they landed, they saw a fire of coals burning there with some fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. The first praise cafe of the New Testament. Almost as if, praise God, Jesus is risen, let's eat. As I thought about that, here's Jesus, risen Savior of the world. The victorious one who is just fresh from conquering sin and death. And it just kind of struck me, if anyone was above cooking breakfast, you would think it would be Jesus, would you not? I mean, here he is serving the needs of others just as he always had, even in his earthly ministry. Cooking fish and bread, gathering the disciples around a campfire, creating an environment of fellowship, and setting the stage for what would become a very memorable conversation between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? We see the important role food played there. And Jesus was the one who built the fire and shopped for the food. Again, you'd think you've risen from the dead. I mean, you have conquered sin and death. Soon you're going to be ascending back to the right hand of the Father. Certainly you would think Jesus would have more pressing issues, right? But here he is making breakfast for the disciples. There is something to be modeled there in what Jesus did. And it really has been for me the catalyst of what we do with the Praise Cafe. When we started Praise Community Church back in June of 2003, I'd come out of of a denominational church. And my experience of the fellowship that occurred in this particular church was every Sunday they would have coffee and donuts and it was all provided and all set out and you would kind of go down and you would go through the line. Every Sunday without fail, there was this big sign. You could not miss it as you were going for your cup, as you're going for your donuts. And it basically was a message that said, if you don't start giving more money to the donut fund, we're not going to be having any more donuts. Every Sunday, it was the most unwelcoming. You just almost felt guilty taking anything off the table, and it always bothered me. And so when we started Praise Cafe and this whole thing kind of got talked about, you know, are we going to do coffee? Are we going to do donuts? I said, I don't, I don't care what we do, but 
two things I know we're not going to do. We're not going to charge anybody, and we're not going to threaten to take it away if they don't do X, Y, and Z. If it cannot be freely given, I don't want to offer it. And that really has been uh, at the forefront of what we have done there from the very beginning. When we first started, it was, you know, kind of coffee and tea and juice and baked goods, and all of it was provided for by volunteers. Over time, the concept for Praise Cafe kind of grew into what it is today, and it is still all done with the hard work, the dedication of volunteers. Some of those volunteers get here on Sunday morning while some of you are still in bed sound asleep. We have been so blessed with so many helpful hands. Joel and Darla right now are kind of overseeing that and doing a phenomenal job uh, organizing the volunteers, organizing um, the meals, and they just work tirelessly to make sure that everything is ready to go uh, when you get here in the morning. Not only do we rely on just a huge cast of volunteers to make Praise Cafe run smoothly week after work, we also rely on a lot of equipment. And for those last several months, we have been having uh, some issues with the oven. Kind of just seems to kind of have a ministry of its own. <laughs> some Sundays it kind of wants to, you know, run really, really hot. Other Sundays it just doesn't seem to even want to fire up. Uh, and so a couple of weeks ago, I walked into the Praise Cafe, and there was Darla. And she is having to cut off uh, the burnt ends of cinnamon rolls because the oven had decided it wanted to burn really hot and high that Sunday and uh, kind of burned uh, the, what she was cooking there. And she kind of looked at me and said, is there just any way we can do something about this oven? And uh, I had heard enough, and I said, I think, I think it's time to do something. So thanks to some hard work by some uh, volunteers, we were able to locate and purchase some new kitchen equipment that will really make everything that we do in Praise Cafe uh, not only better and more consistent, it will also benefit the church in a lot of other key ways that our kitchen is used for funeral luncheons, weddings, uh, baby showers, uh, Renew, uh, we've been cooking meals on Wednesday evenings, so it's not just a benefit Sunday mornings. The other aspect of Praise Cafe that's always been uh, an important element to me has been really the cost. Uh, we've never, ever charged anyone a single dime uh, for any of the meals served out of Praise Cafe, and I, I don't believe that will ever change. And we uh, have a basket out there for free will donations. And most Sundays, you know, we get $10, $15, nowhere near to cover uh, what it costs us. But we, we do it gladly. We're, we're thrilled to be able to offer um, that. And, and making a profit was never, ever our goal. It was never the intention of Praise Cafe. It was really to create an environment where, again, relationships are being built and they're being deepened around a meal where maybe families, it may be the only time that week where a family is able to kind of come together and to sit down and just have a meal together. We have people that kind of just wander in off the streets. They're hungry. Uh, they've heard that there's breakfast here. And so sometimes they'll just come and, you know, sometimes they'll come week after week after week and they'll eat downstairs. And, you know, it's amazing. After a while, curiosity kind of starts to get to them and they're wondering, I wonder what else they do here. 
And then they'll kind of gradually wander up here in the service and, and God will touch them. And so, again, we've uh, always just offered anyone that walks in is welcome uh, to come, even if they choose not to come up to the service, because we just believe that, that God is drawing them um, ever so gradually, um, and, and God is wanting to do a work there. And so for some people, that just kind of becomes their entry point um, into the church. Um, and so what I'm asking for this morning are we just really kind of need some financial donations to help cover uh, the cost of the equipment. We were able to kind of purchase something used uh, it's a six-burner stove. Uh, there's also a convection oven. Uh, there was a gal here that had a cupcake store just down the street. Uh, she was bought out by Hy-Vee. They hired her to come there. They bought her all brand new equipment, and so we were able to pick up her used equipment. It's in excellent uh, condition, and so um, we are very, very thrilled uh, to have that. Uh, many of you may remember Jean Hallman. Jean was very, very active here uh, at the church. Jean passed away a couple months ago, and uh, Jean was in the Praise Cafe most Sundays. Uh, she really enjoyed that, and at her passing, the family kind of set up a memorial fund uh, in Jean's name, and a couple of weeks ago, Jim, uh, Jean hus Jean's husband, gave the church around $1,100, and he said, you know what, take this and use this in whatever way you want. Now, I know it's a risky thing, and it's often ill-advised buying women appliances for <laughs> birthdays or anniversaries. But I think Jean would be good with an oven in her memory. And so again, we're very, very grateful to the Holman family for their generous donation and the freedom to really be able to put that toward uh, a project like this. So if you are so inclined and you really feel uh, God leading you to help us kind of cover the remaining costs of that, you can do that by just simply making out a check. Just put Praise Cafe either uh, on the envelope. You can put that on the check. Uh, put the cash in there, market Praise Cafe. Cafe, or over the next couple of weeks, if you're down there this morning, you know there's kind of a little toy oven uh, down there. Judy Mulkey found a toy oven and put that down there, and you can kind of just open the little drawer on the toy, and you kind of put your, you know, thing in, uh, your donation uh, in there as well. So maybe as you're going through the line, if you want to maybe just drop a 10 or a 20 in there uh, over the next couple of weeks, that would be great too. And I know what a generous congregation uh, you are, and I, I just know that this is all going to be covered quickly. Any donations beyond the cost of the equipment, we're going to kind of just keep in uh, Praise Cafe for future uh, equipment needs and, and just being able to provide, again, that ministry and service that really Praise Cafe is known for. So just wanted to make that known to you, to share that opportunity with you. And again, we just appreciate anything and everything you can do to help us with that. The Bible says that we can know God. We've been really kind of talking a lot about that these last couple of weeks. And in fact, Jesus defines eternal life in John 17, 3. And this is what he says. He says, now this is eternal life. To, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So God not only wants you and I to know him, and again, that word know, it is, it is a word that is intended to convey a deep and an intimate knowledge, understanding, relationship with God. And not just God, but also, uh, Jesus says, the son whom he has sent. 
Paul says that the goal of his life was to know the power and to experience, was to know Christ and to really experience the power of his resurrection. And God wants that as a goal for our lives as well. And when we get to know God and we begin to experience God uh, deeply and intimately, we will begin to discover who God is, what he is like, who he is, and what his plans and purposes are for our lives. The truth is, we will never trust, you will never follow, you will never obey, you will never pursue, you will never respond to God the way he desires if we don't know him. So what is God really like? Uh, Not what he's portrayed by, by Hollywood, not like you see him on television or movies or how tradition defines him. But who is God and what is God really like? Where can we go? Where can we turn to find a reliable source of truth, something that would shed some light for us? on the reality of who God is and who his son, Jesus Christ, is. Is there a reliable source? Is there a truth that God can give us or show us that would give us some insight into the absolute reality of who he is? And the answer to that question is yes. One source of truth that God has given to us is the word of God. And as an introduction to Luke's gospel, there in chapter 1, verse 3, he kind of writes this by way of introduction, and he says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Disciple John, he makes a similar statement at the end of his gospel, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 31, and he says, but these things are written, referring to his gospel. He said, these things are written that you might know, that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life. That abundant, eternal life that he says comes from knowing God, from knowing him whom the Father sent. Jesus says, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14 says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught by the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is what? True. So the Bible is a reliable source of truth that we can depend on. Again, to show us, to reveal to us who is God? What is he like? 
Jesus Christ is another way that we can come to reliably know who God is. Jesus himself said in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And again, Jesus came among many things. And that is, one was to reveal to us who God is and what God is like. When we see Jesus, we're seeing the Father in action. When we hear Jesus, it's as if we're hearing directly from the Father. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.15, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus would often remind his disciples and his followers that he was always doing what he saw his father doing. He was always speaking what he heard his father saying. And the implication there being that what he was telling us is he's revealing to us who God is and what God is like through his actions and through his words. There's also the Holy Spirit is the third reliable source that God gives to us by means in which he will reveal himself to us as to who he is and what he is like. Jesus said in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all what? Truth. All truth. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. A couple chapters later, John 16, 13, Jesus said when the Spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth so again one of the functions the purpose of the holy spirit is to lead and to guide us into what is truth regarding who god is and what he is really like so you have the word of god you have the person of jesus christ and you have the third person of the trinity the holy spirit as three reliable trustworthy sources that we can depend upon we can look to to answer the questions as to who God truly is and what he is like. So this morning I want to kind of just begin a series of sermons uh, looking at that question. Who is God? And looking to those three sources, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in answering that question. One truth that Scripture reveals to us about who God is and one of the ways that God functions is that God is a refuge. God is our refuge, not a distant refuge. He is our refuge. It is a personal refuge for you and for me. Psalm 62 eight says, pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge, a shelter, a, a, a safe place for us why does God reveal himself to us as a refuge how many of you here this morning just by a show of hands have or did have or maybe you currently have a bully in your school how many of you ever had a bully in your school how many of you were that bully yeah there's a couple back there we're going to meet you downstairs and beat you up and see how you like it. <laughs> There's one in every state, every city, every school. A school bully it just seems as much a part of the American fabric as mom, baseball, and church on Sunday. In my junior high school, just a few years back, 
Our school bully, his name was Brian Horton. Never forget the kid. Brian here this morning. (laughs) Brian was usually in at least one fight every day, spent more time in the principal's office than the principal did. And I'm sure it was a reoccurring topic of discussion in the teacher's lounge. He was a huge kid, and a majority of the teachers had a hard time controlling him. And I think all of the kids in my junior high school at one time or another was Brian's punching bag. You know, school bullies aren't anything new. They're nothing unique to the American culture. As a matter of fact, in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, back even in the Old Testament times, a great deal of bullying and violence went on. Only the stakes, the consequences, the outcomes were much higher. Populations were very spread out. Judicial systems, courts, judges, lawyers, all of those things were very far and few between. Very expensive for the few that could afford it. People kept law and order and justice just through a very rudimentary form of just tribal crime and punishment. For example, if someone in your family was killed, your family would get together, they would call a meeting and somebody within that group, within that family would be appointed as the blood avenger. That was the title they were given. The duties of a blood avenger were as gruesome as its name implies. A blood avenger was a representative from the family whose full-time job, I mean, their preoccupation, their obsession was to be to find the murderer who did this violence against our family, you find him, you track him down, and you do to them what they did to our family member. Now, when your family would sit down to choose a blood avenger, you didn't choose grandpa with his walker. You chose someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. You sent someone you knew was going to get the job done. The Terminator would then track down the whereabouts of that person who murdered your relatives. Oftentimes, they would kind of maybe go out into the fields or they would hide along the streets where they knew that individual maybe traveled on a daily basis. And then as the opportune moment arrived, the Terminator would step out from the bushes, out of the ditch, announce that he was your family member's blood avenger, and the chase was on. As a matter of fact, the blood avenger would chase the killer until one of them was left standing or both were dead. Either the killer was killed himself or the blood avenger eventually just ran out of steam and was physically unable to continue, yet they would just take a break. They would rest up, and then the blood avenger would begin again, final Justice. I mean, this was their obsession. You don't go on with anything else in life until you have avenged our family's murder. And they would demand proof of the kill. And then a celebration was in order. 
Now, admittedly, it was a little more crude, but it did keep law and order in those days. Now, one of the major problems, as you can well assume, with such a system was the mitigating circumstances of an accidental death. Let's say a woman is in a hurry, and I'm not picking on ladies. Woman's in a hurry to go to the market. She jumps on the family camel, puts it in reverse and takes off. And a five-year-old steps out in front of her, and she tries to stop. She does everything that she can to pull the reins back with all of her strength, but to no avail, the child is trampled. Horrified, the woman jumps down, rushes to the aid of the child, does all she can, but to no avail, the child dies. Tragic accident. What happens? Well, in those days, the five-year-old's family would call a meeting. They would appoint a blood avenger whose orders were clear. Track down that housewife. And catch her out in the open when she's not looking, when she's not suspecting. And chase her down until she cannot run another step. And then you trample her with a camel. Now most of us would want to stand up and yell, wait, whoa, whoa. It was an accident. She didn't mean to do it. This isn't fair. She didn't mean to kill that child. And you're absolutely right. The justice lacked a certain amount of sophistication in those days. But nobody knew what else to do. Nobody else had a plan or an idea how to deal with this except for God. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Joshua, God addresses the problem by establishing what were called cities of refuge. Joshua 20, beginning in verse 2, and there it says, Speak to the children, the nation of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. So the Israelites did as God suggested, they chose six cities for their geographical location, for their easy access. And throughout Israel, they kind of just put up signs that would point the way to the place of refuge. If someone committed an accidental homicide, he or she would take off running for the nearest city of refuge. And once inside the gates, the city of refuge, they were now safe. From the blood avenger. The city acted as kind of a voluntary prison. The person would kind of commit themselves and they would stay there until a fair trial could take place. If during that trial the person was found guilty, they were then turned over to the blood avenger so he could carry out his uh, vengeance. If it was found that the death truly was accidental, unintentional, the local officials would send the blood avenger back home. These cities of refuge flowed out of the heart of a very gracious, a loving, 
merciful God. And they paint and they portray a beautiful picture of who God is, of what God is like. And bound up in the nature, in the character of God is this desire to provide for us a place of safety, of hope, of refuge to people who are feeling hunted down, persecuted, and oppressed. One of the most beautiful pictures of spiritual refuge is found there in Psalm 91, and Pastor Jason alluded to that earlier and and had written that song around that concept of of God being a refuge. And there it says in verse 4, he will shield you with his wings. Again, a picture of God's shelter, of his safety, a place of God's refuge. How many of you have ever seen little chicks and they're kind of just chirping and pecking and doing chick stuff and once the mother becomes aware of maybe a threat, a predator, she doesn't schedule a seminar, she doesn't plan a self-help class, she doesn't start handing out evacuation procedures. All that mother hen does is she just lifts up her wings and all of the little chicks gather under and she brings her wings down, providing them a place of safety, of refuge from their enemies. Today, God still delights in spreading his protective wings, enfolding, bringing us into a place of refuge for all of his frightened, weary, beaten down, oppressed, persecuted, worn out children. Hide here for a time. Take shelter here. Get out of the danger. Regroup. Recuperate. Find new strength. Be infused with new hope. Well, this may not be the best news for some of you because you may be saying to yourself, God is my refuge. Big deal. I don't need a refuge. No one's hunting me. I don't feel oppressed. I don't feel persecuted. I don't need a city of refuge at the moment. Everything's fine. And 99% of the Israelites back in those days, cities of refuge didn't mean very much. Sure, people knew they were there if they needed them, but most of them rarely did. However, to that one housewife who accidentally killed the five-year-old on the way to the market, the closest city of refuge was the most important place on all planet Earth. Who needs a city of refuge? Who needs a God this morning that is a refuge? I'll tell you who oppress people, weary people, fearful people, Grieving people, worried people, addicted people, disappointed people, hurting people, heartbroken people, people who are maybe being unfairly attacked, people who are maybe victims of injustice. Psalm 99 promises the Lord will be a refuge, a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge, a shelter in times of trouble. Again, to 99% of you this morning, that may not mean much now. But you don't have to live life long 
to know there are days, there are moments, there are circumstances, situations. We've had them in the past. Chances are we'll have them again in the future. Where we're going to need that place of refuge, that place of shelter. And God delights. It's still on the heart of God to provide for us a refuge, a shelter. Doing so, this is not just a pastime for God. It's not a side job. It's not a hobby that occupies his evening hours. On the contrary, it is the heart of what he does. It is the essence of who he is to be a God, a place of refuge, a place of shelter for us in times of trouble and distress. In the short run, maybe everything is going quite nicely for you. And I'm I'm glad. I honestly am. But if you think your entire life is just going to be smooth sailing, again, you're mistaken. The odds are overwhelming that between this day and the day you die, like every one of us, we're going to have our fair share of struggles, of heartache, of oppression, adversity, persecution. And at that moment, you will understand, like maybe you've never understood before, your need for a safe harbor. How do we find this place of shelter, this place of refuge and protection? How do we enter into that? All you need to do is call on God. To enter God's refuge, all we need to do is to call upon Him. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Psalm 91 verse 15 says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him. Jesus also picks up this theme of refuge, this theme of shelter, this theme of protection. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. This morning, as we kind of just uh, close, I promised I would keep it short this morning because I kept all of you guys here like uh, way late. I see heads are nodding here this morning thinking, thank God he's done. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to open it up here this morning. And if you are that, that one person here this morning, and I, and I want you to know, God's not into numbers. God's not into crowds. You know, God loves crowds, but God's really into people. God's really into hurting hearts. And even if it's just one here this morning, The scripture says that one person, I think out of thousands, can come to salvation and all of heaven rejoices. God doesn't say, well, if we can get 10, we're going to throw a party in heaven. No, he says if just one person finds Jesus, we're going to have an awesome celebration. And I believe that is the heart of God. If there's one person here this morning that is struggling, that is hurting, that is dealing with oppression, maybe dealing with addictions. Maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with sickness and disease. God wants to bring you into a place of refuge and God wants to bring healing. He wants to deliver healing to your mind, to your body, to your soul this morning. And so maybe some of you here this morning, you're fleeing sickness and disease and, and you're looking for a place of refuge, a place of healing this morning. If that's you, we want to pray for you this morning. 
We want to anoint you with oil. We want to just speak the word over you this morning. And we just want to be able to bring you into that place uh, again where there is just safety, where there is peace, where there is fullness of joy. For some of you this morning, it may be what David said, God created me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you may have lost the joy of your salvation. And this morning as you come to God, God just wants to restore that joy of your salvation. So I'm just going to pray this morning. And if you're here this morning and you just need God's refuge, you just need his shelter this morning. We're just going to invite you. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you, just to anoint you with oil. And we just want to be able to just spread wide again and make available to you that place of protection, that place of refuge in God this morning. Because it is there that you will find peace. You'll find rest for your souls. Some of you this morning maybe are just weary from life and you're just looking for a place to rest. Maybe you're just kind of feeling beaten down and you're just looking for a, a place to just get away from all of that. God is that place. God is that person this morning. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you are our refuge, that God, you are our shelter, that you are our strong tower. The righteous run in and find safety. And Lord, we just thank you for that word. We thank you for that picture that you are, that you long to be that place of refuge, that place of shelter for us. And Father, I pray for those this morning who maybe are feeling oppressed, who are feeling persecuted, maybe those who are just feeling the adversity, the heaviness, the weightiness of life, of maybe issues that are going on. Some people here may be feeling the weight of sickness, the weight of financial distress. Some here may be facing and feeling the difficulty, the burden of relationships. And God, this morning, they're just looking for that place of shelter, that place of peace, that place, God, of being able to just come and to, to get away from that and to have that burden lifted this morning. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just draw their hearts under your heart. That God, that they would just see you arms open wide. That God, that they would see, God, that you are that river of peace flowing out to them, drawing them into your, uh, just to your side, Father, as that chick with the feathers, Lord, just again, where we would take refuge, we would find shelter under you. And Father, we just ask, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that, God, you would just draw them, Lord, that we could just pray over them, anoint them this morning, Father, and just stand with them. And, Lord, just, again, be uh, that signpost, Lord, that points them to you. And, Father, we just thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to be prayed for, if you've not taken communion yet this morning, this would be a great time as we end in worship this morning just to kind of come up and to partake of communion. And we'll just have some people up here this morning that are ready. Uh, would just love to pray with you this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.